From the depths of our nightmares to the haunting of the witching hour. We present to you Crazy Hexy Ghoul. I'm Kelly. And I'm Arlo. So come and join us as we obsess over ghosties and shit. Did you just say ghosties and shit? Hell yeah, I did. You guys, shit's about to get real. What's going on? You guys, today is the perfect day for us because we are in the middle of a thunderstorm right now. I feel like it just Bird. set the mood for right. what we're talking about today. It knew. Dope. Yep. We, so we have like the lights off. Mm-hmm. We have some candles. There's definitely some energy in the room, mm-hmm. which makes like a great storytelling day, which is what we're going to fucking do. I am so excited. I love telling horror stories. I know. And I think you do such an amazing job at telling stories, especially when they're stories that you know, because you kind of like you get into it and it makes me really happy. Yeah. I like listening to your stories too, though. I feel like the horror stories that you say, I kind of get creeped out and I'm just entranced (laughs) with your voice. Uh, Thank you. You guys, we want to do story time tonight. I'm so excited. It's not nighttime. It's daytime. I don't know why I said tonight. Tonight just makes it sound better. Well, it's storming. It's kind of dark outside. (laughs) Yeah. Like, it's kind of night in a way. And we're drinking wine. Yeah. You know, it's five o'clock somewhere. (laughs) I'm a night shift worker, so my five o'clock is like 3 a.m., so. Nice. You peak at 3 a.m., like the witching hour? Yeah. Yeah, actually, that's that's, um, like when one of your sleep cycle ends. Mm -hmm. So you get really sleepy at like two, three, four-ish. That makes sense, especially because, you know, I've been a person who's worked overnight many years. Yeah, And that's true. About that time, you start to get really sleepy. Yes. In about like 5.30, 6. And then shit just stops making sense after that. Yep. You're not even sure if you're really talking or if you're even a human being. It's really trippy Uh and weird. Yep. Especially whenever it's daylight savings time or the seasons change. Did you see that they're Weird. passing out, they're trying to pass a bill that gets rid of daylight savings time? That'd be great because it, it I doesn't mean, make sense. Not anymore. To have it, it doesn't make sense. And yeah. not every state does daylight savings time. We're going to Google that. Kelly does us a little Google. Google. Um, <laughs> okay. All states, but Hawaii and Arizona. See, I told you. You're right. I'm psychic. I know these things. <laughs> Just kidding. Have you seen the movie The Others with Nicole Kidman? Uh, no, I haven't. Basically, spoiler alert, if you've never seen this movie, it is one for the books. It's good for like, uh, uh, if you want a quick, like spooky feel, but not too scary. So basically... It's a mom, two young kids. The little girl in the movie, she keeps seeing a ghost, like an old woman, and they keep hearing stuff. And then the little girl becomes possessed by her temporarily. And the mom freaks out because the mom is like, we're being haunted, la la la. At the end, it turns out they were actually the ghosts, the mom and the children. The woman was a psychic and she was doing a seance and she was making contact with them inside the house. Holy crap. Because the people that wanted to buy the house thought it was haunted. Yeah. Because it so was. Doing, so they were doing a seance to see what they could find out about the I house. I feel like in real life, yeah. I feel like seances are really tricky. They are, and they're scary. They and they're unhealthy. Yeah, yeah I feel sure. like something isn't broken, don't fix it. Because you can stir up a lot of weird shit. Mm-hmm. And I think that has to do with like the ego of the human life. 
Yeah. Some people just feel that they're entitled to that space. You're living. They're no longer living. You have to live harmoniously. Otherwise, shit's going to get weird. Right. And I keep getting the chills because there's something in this room surrounding us. It's Yeah. I don't feel like it's bad. I feel like it's no. very calming. You want to get into the show? Let's do it. You want to be a part of the show? Do you remember last week whenever I told you about that story about the guy who killed his wife in his sleep or that was his defense? Oh, yeah. I remember that. Well, I found the story. Ooh, yes. <laughs> it's just a tiny little blurb. Okay, are you ready? I'm ready. So this is Arizona versus Scott Fallader. In 1997, Scott Fallader, a devout Mormon, stabbed his wife 44 times with a hunting knife. Eey. He then dragged her into a backyard pool and held her head underwater. A neighbor who witnessed the drowning called police... Fulater, who had no apparent motive, tried to mount a sleepwalking defense. He said he had a history of sleepwalking, was sleep-deprived, and was unconscious at the time of the attack. Yet, Fulater had tried to conceal evidence. Police found the knife, bloody clothes, boots, gloves, and undergarments stuffed in a Tupperware container hidden in his car. Also, between the stabbing and the drowning, the neighbor witnessed Filator motion for his dog to lie down, a possible sign of consciousness. Right. Like he could, he was aware of his surroundings and yes. he had motive. He knew he was trying to hide evidence, which makes you think he intentionally did that. Absolutely. A jury found Filator guilty of first degree murder. So holy shit, that's the story. That's the person who did it, who yeah. is now uh, serving life. Uh, yeah. That's sad. That's so, so sad. So that was just an update from last week. Well, thank you for that update. That was very interesting to hear. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> so just so everyone knows, Kelly injured herself at work. She fell out of a chair. It was a thing. It happened. It was on camera. Yes, we got to see it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, now I have a giant bruise and a swollen ankle. Oh so. my God. What that ankle do, sis? I think it popped out of place, but... Oh, my God. I mean, it happens. I think you are a badass bitch. Yeah, I am. Actually, I think the term is BAMF. Badass motherfucker. Ooh, thank you. Bamf, that is the yeah. best compliment. Edit. <laughs> junk drawer. Actually, it's not even a junk drawer. It's my, um... <laughs> is it your cutlery? I have junk boxes, but I don't have a junk drawer. What are some of the most annoying sounds to you? I don't know. I feel like I have a lot of them. ASMR. Okay, are you ready for my story? Yes, I'm ready. Okay, this one is from... Wait, 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 wait. Oh. I got a twirl it. Story time. Okay, this story is from Let's Not Meet subreddit. Um, Which is fucking amazing. Have you listened to the podcast, Let's Not Meet? Yes, I love that podcast. So good, so good. And the story was posted by Dream's Child. This story is called One Decision. When I was a teenager, I was goth. Black hair, black clothes, black makeup. Even had a pair of combat boots. My friends and I, in typical goth fashion, hung out at the local cemetery. Mm, mm -hmm. We started going as a joke, but soon discovered we liked the peace we found there. That all changed one night. My friend called to see if I wanted to hang out. And I did, 
None of our friends were available. They were either working or recovering from partying the night before, so we went on our own. My friend picked me up and we drove up to the cemetery. We were hanging out, smoking cigs and BSing about the latest issues she was having with her boyfriend when we noticed at the top of the hill we were on, about a hundred feet away, a bonfire had been lit. You have to understand that the cemetery is about a block off campus of a major university. It's not uncommon for college students to go there to party. My friend and I sighed, knowing that we would have to get going soon. It was illegal to be in the cemetery after dark, and we knew the police would show up because some jerks decided they needed a bonfire. We decided to finish our cigs and then take off. Just then, the most horrible stench came wafting down the hill from the direction of the bonfire. My friend gagged and covered her mouth. I groaned and said, what the hell? My friend shook her head and said, I don't know what they're doing. Let's just leave. We get in the car and one of us suggested, I honestly don't remember who. Maybe we should just go up and see what they're doing. My stomach turned and a cold shiver went through my body. My friend must have had the same feeling because at the same time, we both said, nope, we should just leave. My friend turned the car on, switched on her headlights, put the car in reverse, and looked over her shoulder before starting to back up. I was still looking up the hill. A figure stepped in front of the bonfire. I could only see a silhouette, but was sure whoever it was was watching us. A feeling of terror hit me, and I said, go, 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 getting louder and more panicked with each word. My friend looked up the hill for a second, and just as the figure took a step towards us, she slammed on the gas and peeled out of there, going in reverse down the hill. She rammed the gear shift into drive, and we were out. We didn't say anything for a while, until she just said, What the hell were they burning? I shook my head. I don't know. She dropped me off at home, and I went to bed. The next morning, I woke up and went out to the kitchen. My mom was there, drinking her morning coffee, and I joined her. We talked about our job for a bit, when she suddenly comes out with, Did you hear what happened last night? I shrugged and said no. She tells me that a woman she worked with was kidnapped from her parking garage. Oh my god, I said. Did they find her? Yes, but too late, she replies. Whoever took her had raped and murdered her. They found her this morning up in the cemetery. He had tried to dispose of her body in a bonfire. Oh my god! I froze. My brain was going a mile a minute. The realization slowly creeping up. That's what the smell was. Needless to say, I never hung out at the cemetery at night again. I think back to our decision to leave instead of investigating the bonfire. That one decision could have changed everything. Dark silhouette in the bonfire? Let's not meet. Oh my god, I have chills. Okay, so this is a true story, correct? Supposedly, yes. Supposedly true. Yes. Oh my god. It's fucking creepy, right? But like, why in the cemetery, though? That's fucked up. Yeah, that's not okay. All of that's fucked up. Yeah. I wonder, did they ever find that person? I think so. Dang. Because they said he... Right? They must have found out who he was. Yeah. Oh, my God. We'll have to look that up and maybe try and do an update. Ooh, yeah. I'm going to dig. I'm going to dig into that one. Yeah, we should. You guys, I know you're hearing this, like, secondhand through a recording, but holy shit, in person, it's ten times better. It truly is. It's such a good one. Even I got the chills. I think I need you to tell another one. No, I think I need your story next. Okay. I want to hear it. I want to hear it. I'm ready. So I came across this story on reddit it's weird it's creepy but kind of funny at the same time i am ready i'm so excited i'm sorry 
how am I supposed to go after that? I can't live in the shadows of a professional storyteller. Like, I'm not a professional storyteller. <laughs> well, you, you sound like it. I want to hear your story. Okay. So this story comes from Reddit. Seven years ago, it says that the person who wrote it, uh, it's deleted. There's no uh, username information. I worked at a now defunct video rental store for five years. Besides my store manager, I was the only other female who worked there. Only the two of us ever came in contact with who I like to refer to as the belly button guy. Oh. (laughs) Basically, there was this guy who was not a card-holding member that would come in every night the females were working. He would call ahead a bunch of times to ensure that no men were there and would show up right before closing. He had a major belly button fetish. (laughs) That is disgusting. (laughs) He was 5'3 and would wear the same jeans and short sleeve button up dress shirt each visit. He would have the shirt tied up in a knot in order to expose his own belly button. He would only ever buy a candy bar. But would spend his time asking us if we had belly buttons, if we liked to be tickled, what movies had the best belly button scenes, etc. Hey, you guys have belly button porn here? Wow. Show me to your belly button porn, please. <laughs> that is a weird kink. Okay. I really try not to kink shame. That's just... Right, but this is... Oh. That's a little bizarre. But, right? you know, to each their own, as long as he's not hurting anyone, it sounds like he might be freaking people out though so a hundred percent being a total freak tone it down that i will judge him on not okay okay he would then leave and immediately call the store pretending to be his brother (laughs) (laughs) and asking if we had seen him and his fucking belly button he would go from store to store in the district until finally the police caught him all of the guys thought we were nuts because no one else ever saw or spoke to him because he would target women. Exactly. Fuck that. He would the, intentionally freak women out. Right. That mm-hmm. is so gross. It, it is. Oh, gross. Did you like that story? I love that story. <laughs> it was not as great as yours. That was creepy, though. I'm just living in the shadows here. No, no. I yep. don't think you're the in dark, the shadows. dark, creepy shadows. The belly button bandit sat it again. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was truly a weird story. I feel like every woman in the world has that one of those stories. Agreed. Like they've had a man trying to torment them for fun. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Belly I know. Bu- belly button I Bob. Like get the fuck right. out of here. I know what I fucking deserve. Mm-hmm. Mine. And it's not your belly button at the blockbuster. Okay. It's just not. <laughs> uh, creepypasta are like scary stories that have been copy pasted. It's a term known as copypasta. So my story is called Dead Bart, written by K.I. Simpson. You know how Fox has a weird way of counting Simpsons episodes? They refuse to count a couple of them, making the amount of episodes inconsistent. The reason for this is a lost episode from season one. Finding details about this missing episode is difficult. No one who is working on the show at the time likes to talk about it. From what has been pieced together, the lost episode was written entirely by Matt Groening, During production of the first season, Matt started acting strangely. He was very quiet, seemed nervous, and morbid. Mentioning this to anyone who was present resulted in them getting very angry and forbidding you to ever mention it to Matt. 
The episode's production number was 7G44. The title was Dead Bart. In addition to getting angry, asking anyone who is on the show about this will cause them to do everything they can to stop you from directly communicating with Matt Groening. At a fan event, I managed to follow him after he spoke to the crowd and eventually had a chance to talk to him alone as he was leaving the building. He didn't seem upset that I had followed him, probably expected a typical encounter with an obsessive fan. I mentioned the last episode, though. All color drained from his face, and he started trembling. When I asked him if he could tell me any details, he sounded like he was on the verge of tears. He grabbed a piece of paper and wrote something on it and handed it to me. He begged me never to mention the episode again. The piece of paper was a website. I would rather not say what it was, for reasons you'll see in a second. I entered the address into my browser, and I came to a site that was completely black, except for a line of yellow text, a download link. I clicked it, and a file started downloading. Once the file was downloaded, my computer went crazy. It was the worst virus I had ever seen. System restore didn't work, the entire computer had to be rebooted. Before doing this, though, I copied the file onto a CD. I tried to open it on my now empty computer, and as I suspected, there was an episode of The Simpsons on it. The episode started off like any other episode, but had very poor quality animation. If you've seen the original animation for Some Enchanted Evening, it was similar, but less stable. The first act was fairly normal, but the way the characters acted was a little off. Homer seemed angrier. Marge seemed depressed. Lisa seemed anxious. Bart seemed to have genuine anger and hatred for his parents. The episode was about the Simpsons going on a plane trip. Near the end of the first act, the plane was taking off. Bart was fooling around as you'd expect. However, as the plane was about 50 feet off the ground, Bart broke a window on the plane and was sucked out. At the beginning of the series, Matt had an idea that the animated style of the Simpsons world represented life, and that death turned things more realistic. This was used in the episode. The picture of Bart's corpse was barely recognizable. They took full advantage of it, not having to move, and made an almost photorealistic drawing of his dead body. Act 1 ended with the shot of Bart's corpse. When Act 2 started, Homer, Marge, and Lisa were sitting at their table crying. The crying went on and on, and it got more pained, sounded more realistic, better acting than you would think possible. The animation started to decay even more as they cried, and you could hear murmuring in the background. This crying went on for all of Act 2. Act 3 opened with a title card saying one year had passed. Homer, Marge, and Lisa were skeletally thin and still sitting at the table. There were no signs of Maggie or the pets. They decided to visit Bart's grave. Springfield was completely deserted, and as they walked to the cemetery, the houses became more and more decrepit. They all looked abandoned. When they got to the grave, Bart's body was just lying in front of his tombstone, looking just as it did at the end of Act 1. The family started crying again. Eventually they stopped and just stared at Bart's body. The camera zoomed in on Homer's face. According to summaries, Homer tells a joke at this part, but it isn't audible in the version I saw. You can't tell what Homer is saying. The view zoomed out as the episode came to a close. The tombstones in the background had the names of every Simpsons guest star on them. Some no one had heard of in 1989. Some that hadn't even been shown on the show yet. All of them had death dates on them. For guests who died since, like Michael Jackson and George Harrison, 
the dates for when they would die. You can try to use the tombstones to predict the death of Living Simpsons guest stars, but there's something odd about most of the ones who haven't died yet. All of their deaths are listed as the same date. What do you mean the same date? They're talking about how Michael Jackson and George Harrison had their death dates mm-hmm. before they died. And that every other guest star had the same date. Like something of had killed them all. Day. Something had happened where all of them had died all at once. I like that story, but that's just weird. It is. It's kind of creepy. Yeah, that's why it's called a creepy pasta. Like, you know how they say that Simpsons has predicted, like, a lot of things in the past. Kind of freaky to think there might be an episode out there has predicted even more than we might know. Stuff that hasn't happened yet. Also, take these stories with a grain of salt because they're said to not be true. So, who knows? I mean, it's like Reddit. You don't know who's posting it. You don't know who's making it up. So it could be. Uh, wouldn't it be really cool if Matt Groening actually made an episode based on this creepy pasta? That would be badass. I think that would like freak everybody out. I think it would. the story. And you know he's read it. He's had to have read it. Someone has had yeah. to have showed him this creepy pasta. Oh, I'm sure. Such a good one. One of my favorite creepy pastas. Yeah, me too. I'm going to tell you a story. <laughs> I'm excited to hear it. This one is a story, and then someone commented with their own story. Okay. That's kind of like theirs. So I'm going to read the original story, and then the commented story. When I was about 14, my dad had recently moved into the oldest house I'd ever lived in. It was built in 1961. My dad was single, and my brother was freshly 16 with a car, so whenever my dad had us for the weekend, I was frequently left alone. This one such Friday night was no different. My brother was staying at his friend's house, and my dad was evidently entertaining guests at a dinner out on the town. I'm on the computer surfing the internet when I decide I need to go to the bathroom. The bathroom is tucked all the way in the back right corner of the house adjacent to my brother's room. I've always gotten a weird, ominous vibe from that general area of the house, so naturally I'm a bit spooked, so I turn on all the lights as I go. I do that too. I, like, turn every light on in the house when I'm walking in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. I pass by my brother's room and just have an incredibly eerie vibe. I can't help but glance into the darkness of the empty room. I'm drawn to it. I finish up in the bathroom, and I'm leaving and turning off the light, and the same time, palpable eeriness lures my gaze into the room. And almost immediately, I am met with a hoarsely whisper, Hey. Every single hair on my body shoots up, and I'm suddenly stricken with the urge to turn, heel, and just run. But I have this feeling that if I did, I would be chased. The only thing I can manage is a quick speed walk while sweating bullets from the sheer terror I have just experienced. I make it to the light of the living room where I immediately call my dad and demand that he come home now. He tells me I'm probably just spooked and that he'll be home when he initially planned but I know what I heard. I waited on the couch far away from that side of the house all night long, all the while hearing what sounded like conversations between multiple people happening in that particular room. I don't like that. Nobody does. Fast forward a month or so, and my dad still likes to poke fun at the experience. My dad frequently worked out on Sunday mornings, and again, my brother was usually staying the night at a friend's house, So many Saturday and Sunday mornings I had to myself when staying at my dad's place. 
which was the case this particular Saturday or Sunday, I had just woken up around 10 a.m. and I had to use the bathroom, closest of which was the same bathroom down the hall by my brother's room. I make my way down the hall and prompted by my previous supernatural encounter, instinctively I glance into his room. It's broad daylight and for some reason the first thing I notice is that the ceiling fan is off. I go to the bathroom and I'm passing by the room again when I catch something in my peripheral and I turn to see the pull chain from the fan is swinging back and forth as if someone had batted it with her hand. Again, I'm struck with panic and feel like freezing and sprinting at the same time. And, and I'm shocked by an actual physical manifestation this time. I quickly make my way to the living room again, where I wait for my dad to get home. But again, he doesn't believe me. Similar but more dubious supernatural things would happen over the years, of course. Uh, Ouija boards, seances, etc. with pretty crazy results. Hold on, hold on. Sorry, what? I'm not trying to interrupt you. Why would you get a Ouija board? It wasn't until after my dad sold the house that he finally told us that both of our grandparents' urns were kept in the closet in that room. It still gives me chills. So, in this specific scenario, I'm not sure if this is a true story. I'm just assuming it is, because it sounds true. I don't know. I don't know if that's a good enough excuse to believe it. Holy shit, I have a similar experience. When I was like 11 or 12, I was just chilling in my room, alone in the house, and then I just hear some guy yelling from what sounds like the inside vent on my floor. Hello? Can somebody help me? Immediately ran outside and just walked around my block for hours until my parents came home. A week later, I heard the exact same thing come out of a different vent in a different room. On top of that, I've seen doors open themselves, like literally saw a door handle turn itself through a glass door with like three friends seeing the exact same thing. One time I was in the basement and I thought I saw someone watching me through a cracked open door and the door slammed shut. When I was really young, like seven, I remember seeing black shadowy humanoid figures crying in the corner of one room on multiple occasions. But I attributed that to an an overactive imagination. I was always really tired when I saw stuff like that. So that was just a comment. Man, that's creepy though. Why were they crying in a corner? Honestly, nobody knows, but this person was seven years old at the time. And honestly, like, when you're that young, you see a lot of stuff. I feel like kids see a lot of stuff anyway. Like, Oh, yeah. Did I ever tell you I had an imaginary friend named Bob? That was my uncle's name. And then I think you my did. brother also had an imaginary friend 14 years before. That was Bob. Did your Uncle Bob die? Yeah, he's been dead for decades. So do you think it was your Uncle Bob? I don't know. Or Bob was a very common, like, fun name to make mm-hmm. up as a kid around in the 90s. So who knows? But yeah, it could have been. Mm-hmm. How am I to know it wasn't? That's very true. I have a similar story. It's not about me, but it's about my daughter, my firstborn. About a year ago, she was about three, we were at the thrift store. She was picking out a stuffed animal, and she keeps coming back to this one. And girl, let me tell you, it's hideous, okay? (laughs) It's pink, it's a poodle, and it's wearing pajamas. But, like, they're silk pajamas, so it's, like, (laughs) Like an old granny-type toy. Yeah, absolutely. It's very, uh, it was very gaudy. Yeah. If you can imagine a pink poodle wearing a tiny little nighty, like yeah. a, a top and bottom set, like silky. Yeah. 
So she insists on getting that one. And finally, I was like, all right, this shit's hideous. You know, she, she wanted it. So I bought it for her. And we're in the car. And I asked her, I'm like, okay, so what do you want to name your poodle? And she said, I want to name my poodle Popcorn. And I was like, okay, that's a really weird name to name a poodle, but we'll call your poodle Popcorn. That's fine, you know. She takes the poodle over to her dad's house. She tells them the poodle's name is Popcorn. So he's dropping her off. And he's like, you know, she named her poodle Popcorn. And I was like, yeah, I know. It's a weird name. I don't even know why she named him that. She was like, well, that's weird because my grandmother had a poodle named Popcorn. And no one had told her about the poodle. That's such a random name, too. Right? And his grandmother had passed a few years prior. Yeah. She had met my daughter several times. So she knew her. Yeah. Who would name their poodle Popcorn? First of all, just across the board. Fun name. Interesting name. But that my daughter would call her stuffed poodle Popcorn. Yeah. So weird. And she That's had to bizarre. have that damn poodle. Yeah. Girl, this shit was hideous. Okay, I'm that gonna, reminds I think I ended up throwing it away. Eek. This is called the Russian sleep experiment. This is supposedly a true experiment that happened. Who okay. knows? Russian researchers in the late 1940s kept five people awake for 15 days using an experimental gas-based stimulant. They were kept in a sealed environment to carefully monitor their oxygen intake so the gas didn't kill them, since it was toxic in high concentrations. This was before closed-circuit cameras, so they had only microphones and 5-inch thick glass porthole-sized windows into the chambers to monitor them. The chamber was stocked with books, cots to sleep on but no bedding, running water, and a toilet, and enough dry food to last all five for over a month. The test subjects were political prisoners deemed enemies of the state during World War II. Everything was fine for the first five days. The subjects hardly complained, having been promised falsely that they would be freed if they submitted to the test and did not sleep for 30 days. Their conversations and activities were monitored, and it was noted that they continued to talk about increasingly traumatic incidents in the past, and the general tone of their conversations took on a darker aspect after the day four mark. After five days, they started to complain about the circumstances and events that led them to where they were and started to demonstrate severe paranoia. They stopped talking to each other and began whispering to the microphones and the one-way mirrored portholes. Oddly, they seemed to think they could win the trust of the experimenters by turning over their comrades, the other subjects, in captivity with them. At first, the researchers suspect this was an effect of the gas itself. After nine days, the first of them started screaming. He ran the length of the chamber, repeatedly yelling at the top of his lungs for three hours straight. He continued attempting to scream, but was only able to produce occasional squeaks. The researchers postulated that he had physically torn his vocal cords. The most surprising thing about this behavior is how the other captives reacted to it, or rather didn't react to it. They continued whispering to the microphones until the second of the captives started to scream. The two non-screaming captives took the books apart, smeared page after page with their own feces, pasted them calmly over the glass portholes. The screaming promptly stopped. So did the whispering to the microphones. After three more days passed, the researchers checked the microphones hourly to make sure they were working, since they thought it was impossible that no sound should be coming with the five people inside. The oxygen consumption in the chamber indicated that all five must be alive. In fact, it was the amount of oxygen five people would consume at a very heavy level of strenuous exercise. 
On the morning of the 14th day, the researchers did something they said they would not do to get a reaction from the captives. They used the intercom inside the chamber, hoping to provoke a response from the captives they were afraid were either dead or vegetables. They announced, We are opening the chamber to test the microphone, step away from the door, and lie flat on the floor or you will be shot. Compliance will earn one of you your imminent freedom. To their surprise, they heard a single phrase in a calm voice respond, We no longer want to be freed. Debate broke out among the researchers and the military forces funding the research. Unable to provoke any more response using the intercom, it was finally decided to open the chamber at midnight on the 15th day. The chamber was flushed of the stimulant gas and filled with fresh air, and the immediate voices of the microphones began to object. Three different voices began begging, as if pleading for the life of loved ones, to turn the gas back on. The chamber was opened, and the soldiers sent in to retrieve the test subjects. They began to scream louder than ever, and so did the soldiers when they saw what was inside. Four of the five subjects were still alive, although no one could rightly call the state that any of them were in life. The food rations past day five had not been so much as touched. There were chunks of meat from the dead test subjects, thighs and chest stuffed into the drain in the center of the chamber, blocking the drain and allowing four inches of water to accumulate on the floor. Precisely how much of the water on the floor was actually blood was never determined. All four surviving test subjects also had large portions of muscle and skin torn away from their bodies. The destruction of flesh and exposed bone on their fingertips indicated that the wounds were inflicted by hand, not with teeth, as the researchers initially thought. Closer examination of the position and angles of the wounds indicated that most, if not all of them, were self-inflicted. The abdominal organs below the ribcage of all four test subjects had been removed. While the heart, lungs, and diaphragm remained in place, the skin and most of the muscles attached to the ribs had been ripped off, exposing the lungs through the rib cage. All of the blood vessels and organs remained intact. They had just been taken out and laid on the floor, fanning out around the eviscerated but still living bodies of the subjects. The digestive tract of all four could be seen to be working digesting food. It quickly became apparent that what they were digging was their own flesh that they had ripped off and eaten over the course of days. Most of the soldiers were Russian special operatives at the facility, but still many refused to return to the chamber to remove the test subjects. They continued to scream and be left in the chamber and alternately begged and demanded that the gas be turned back on, lest they fall asleep. To everyone's surprise, the test subjects put up a fierce fight in the process of being removed from the chamber. One of the Russian soldiers died from having his throat ripped out. Another was gravely injured by having his testicles ripped off and an artery in his leg severed by one of the subject's teeth. Another five soldiers lost their lives, if you count ones that committed suicide in the weeks that followed the incident. In the struggle, one of the four living subjects had his spleen ruptured and he bled out almost immediately. The medical researchers attempted to sedate him, but this proved impossible. He was injected with more than 10 times a human dose of morphine and still fought like a cornered animal, breaking the ribs and arm of one doctor. That's insane. I just want to say, like, it just keeps getting worse and worse. Oh, it gets worse. <laughs> Fuck! The heart was seen to beat for a full two minutes after he had bled out. There was more air in his vascular system than blood. Even after it stopped, he continued to scream. 
flail for another three minutes, struggling to attack anyone in reach, just repeating the word more over and over until he finally fell silent. The surviving three test subjects were heavily restrained and moved to a medical facility, the two with intact vocal cords continuously begging for the gas, demanding to be kept awake. The most injured of the three was taken to the only surgical operating room that the facility had. In the process of preparing the subject to have his organs placed back within his body, it was found out that he was effectively immune to the sedative they had given him to prepare him for the surgery. He had fought furiously against his restraints when the anesthetic gas was brought out to put him under. He managed to tear most of the way through a four-inch wide leather strap on one wrist, even though the weight of a 200-pound soldier was holding that wrist as well. It took only a little more anesthetic than normal to put him under, and the instant his eyelids fluttered close, his heart stopped. The autopsy of the test subject that died on the operating table was found that his blood had tripled the normal level of oxygen. His muscles that were still attached to his skeleton were badly torn and he had broken nine bones in his struggle to not be subdued. Most of them were from the force his own muscles had exerted on them. The second survivor had been the first of the group of five to start screaming. With his vocal cords destroyed, he was unable to beg or object to surgery and he only reacted by shaking his head violently in disapproval when the anesthetic gas was brought near him. He shook his head, yes, when someone suggested reluctantly they try surgery without anesthetic, and did not react to the entire six-hour procedure of replacing his abdominal organs and attempting to cover them with what remained of his skin. The surgeon presiding stated repeatedly that it should not be medically possible for the patient to still be alive. One terrified nurse Assessing the surgery stated that she had seen the patient's mouth curl into a smile several times whenever his eyes met hers. When the surgery ended, the subject looked at the surgeon and began to wheeze loudly, attempting to talk while struggling. Assuming this must be something of drastic importance, the surgeon had a pen and pad so the patient could write his message. It was simple. Keep cutting. The other two test subjects were given the same surgery, both without anesthetic as well although they had to be injected with a paralytic for the duration of the operation. The surgeon found it impossible to perform the operation while the patients laughed continuously. Once paralyzed, the subjects could only follow the attending researchers with their eyes. The paralytic cleared the system in an abnormally short period of time. They were soon trying to escape their bonds. The moment they could speak, they were again asking for the stimulant gas. The researchers tried asking why they had injured themselves, why they had ripped their own guts, and why they wanted to be given the gas again. Only one response was given. I must remain awake. All three subjects' restraints were reinforced and they were placed back into the chamber. The researchers facing the wrath of their military benefactors for having failed the stated goals of their project considered euthanizing the surviving subjects. The commanding officer, a former KGB agent, instead saw potential and wanted to see what would happen if they were put back on the gas. Researchers strongly objected, but they were overruled. In preparation for being sealed in the chamber again, the subjects were connected to an EEG monitor and had their restraints padded for a long-term confinement. To everyone's surprise, all three stopped struggling the moment it was let slip that they were going back into the gas. It was obvious at this point, all three were putting up great struggle to stay awake. One of the subjects that could speak was humming loudly and continuously. The mute subject was straining its legs against the leather bonds with all his might, first left, then right, 
then left again with something to focus on. The remaining subject was holding his head off his pillow and blinking rapidly. Having been the first to be wired to for EEG, most of the researchers were monitoring his brainwaves in surprise. They were normal most of the time. It looked as if he were repeatedly suffering from brain death, but returning to normal. As they focused on paper scrolling out of the brainwaves monitor, only one nurse saw his eyes slip shut at the same moment his head hit the pillow. His brainwaves immediately changed to that of a deep sleep, and then flatlined, and for the last time, his heart simultaneously stopped. The only remaining subject that could speak started screaming to be sealed in now. His brainwaves showed the same flatline as one who had just died from falling asleep. The commander gave the order to seal the chamber with both subjects inside, as well as three researchers. One of the named three immediately drew his gun and shot the commander point-blank between the eyes, then turned his gun on the mute subject and blew his brains out as well. My God. Yeah. He pointed the gun at the remaining subject, still restrained on the bed, as the remaining members of the medical and research team fled the room. I won't be locked in here with these things. Not with you, he screamed at the man strapped to the table. What are you? he demanded. I must know. The subject smiled. Have you forgotten so easily? The subject asked. We are you. We are the madness that lurks within you all, begging to be free at every moment in your deepest animal mind. We are what you hide from in your beds every night. We are what you sedate into silence and paralysis when you go, when you go to the nocturnal haven where we cannot tread. The researcher paused, aimed at the subject's heart, and fired. The EEG flatlined, and the subject weakly choked out. So nearly free. That's crazy. There were a few things. One was that they put part of their their bodies, like, in the drain, stopping it up. And then the part where their, like, blood was so strong, it was, like, breaking their bones. Like, their muscles were just becoming that strong, their bones were breaking. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, they were using that much force that, yeah, yeah, they were hurting themselves. Weird. Yeah. Or when their brains would, like, just randomly flatline and come back. That's yeah. not normal. Not at all. <laughs> yeah. I want to look at Billy, Billy Bob, Billy Button Thornton. <laughs> Fuck. Who does that, though? I'm still going to, this is going to bother me forever now. I'm always going to think of Billy Button Bob, Dan, whatever the fuck his name is. Flicking his belly button at the blockbuster. What can you imagine? He probably doesn't clean that thing. That's no, probably when no. he cleans it. Girl, he probably does. I bet you that's his pride and joy. His little button. You got to push it. Can you imagine? I can just <laughs> envision the stench off Ooh. this guy. Like the lint buildup? Yeah. Or the jam. The jam and the crust. <laughs> he probably has an infection oh my somewhere. God. Oh, God. <laughs> I can feel my stomach turning. It's churning. Fuck. But honestly, whoever shared that story gave us some really good content, and we appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you. We might never hear this, but we appreciate you. I I just want one person to send us an email being like, hey, you guys, keep it up. Love your work. Yeah, anything. We don't care. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we're gonna make we're gonna be on our fifth season and not a single person is gonna send us an email no we might have one we might right. have one by yeah. then email us please like crazy at gmail.com right yeah 
or you can slide into those DMs, ah, as the kids say. At, as the kids say. As the kids. Are you I, 60? You know, you know, I feel like it. God, just getting up out of bed every morning. I feel like I'm, I creak more than the floorboards in my apartment. And they creak a lot. <laughs> you also have like very strenuous days by having two children. So. This is true. Like, this is true. And I also managed to get on my my stationary bike and bike at least 100 miles a day. That's not true. <laughs> I don't do that. I usually do like 5 to 10 I mean, that's still day. good. That's really good. Ugh. Yeah. And uh, until next time. The music in this podcast is by the band The Daddios. This is Kelly. And I'm Arlo. And you're listening to Crazy Hexy Ghoul. We'll see you next time. Is this it? Is this the end? Bye. Mm-hmm.